Welcome to Andy State on three, and we are so close to a colossal college football Saturday. This is the most loaded slate that we've had this season. And I don't know if I remember one this loaded in September in a long time. We've had a couple week ones that had some really good games, some week twos that had some really good games. But this is sort of the intersection of conference play and non-conference play where we are getting a ton of great matchups. So many that... I kind of wish they'd spread this out a little bit. I wish we'd had a few of these last weekend and a few of these this weekend because it's going to be tough to figure out what to watch. So I've decided to rank my top five matchups based on intrigue, based on stakes, based on, based on how much they matter, based on how hilarious they might be. Whatever the criteria, this hopefully will help you figure out your viewing. And if you only have one TV... May God have mercy on your soul, because you're going to have a problem. This is, this is going to be a tough weekend for you. So let us rank the top five matchups this weekend. We'll, we'll throw a few honorable mentions out there right now. Honorable mention, Oregon State at Washington State. The Pac-2. They're the only ones left. This is really for the, the championship in 2024. If they want to be a two-team league, this is your championship game. But this is a great game, no matter what. Both these teams are as good as they've been in years. And once again, Pullman will be on a network television station. They were on ABC when they beat Wisconsin. They'll be on Fox for this game. Get to see the Beavers in a highlighted game for the first time. DJ Uyunglele, the revenge tour continues. By the time they kick off, we'll know what happened with Clemson already. So we can, we can say whether DJ was right or maybe Dabo was a little bit right, but we'll, we'll have more information once this game kicks off. So that's an honorable mention. Another honorable mention, this is a noon Eastern kick, 11 local kick, Auburn at Texas A&M. Hugh Freeze, he's building a roster at Auburn that is going to be competitive in the SEC. It's not there yet. He had to do a flip. He has to deal with what he's got right now. But, if we remember from when Hugh Freeze took over a much worse roster at Ole Miss in 2012, he can scare the hell out of you in that first meeting in a while. That's going to make this one very intriguing. And remember, Texas A&M kind of on the knife's edge because the offense looks so much better. It looks like all the stuff everybody was complaining about last year seems to have been fixed. The defense against Miami did not look great. They didn't get pressure. They didn't tackle well. If they can do those things, they're going to beat Auburn. But if they can't get pressure, then this is going to be a game, and it's going to be wild if Auburn comes out of there with a win. So those are your honorable mentions, but let's get to the top five. Number five, Colorado at Oregon. This is the one the casual fans probably have number one because anything involving Coach Prime brings a new audience to college football. We are not going to make fun of those people. We're not. We're not going to be the people who gatekeep the sport. We're not going to be the people who said, we watched college football when it was playing small clubs, and now that it's playing arenas, it's not cool anymore. You're not cool enough to watch it. We're not doing that. We're going to help these people. We're going to explain to these people, this may be a little different viewing experience than what you've seen from Colorado so far. I hope it's not. I hope it's very competitive. I hope it's a great game, but no Travis Hunter. I worry 
about them playing against Oregon because Oregon is a very talented team. You've noticed the rhetoric coming out of Boulder, very different than when they were playing Colorado State. There's no you made it personal. Dan Lanning said some not nice things about Colorado when Colorado went to the Big 12. They don't care. <laughs> They're like, nah, he wasn't talking about us. Don't worry about it. Because they've watched the film. Oregon is incredibly talented. And we're going to hear from Oregon defensive lineman Brandon Dorless later in the show. And he's one of the, the ones that the Colorado folks need to worry about. Because this is the example I keep giving where in the portal, you can find pretty good skilled players. It's harder to find good big guys. And it's hard to build depth with the big guys through the portal. And that is where there could be a problem because Oregon has been building up with big guys since before Dan Lanning was the coach, when Mario Cristobal was the coach. So this is one where Oregon is favored by three touchdowns for a reason. But man, would it be something if Colorado is competitive in this game? If Colorado is close in this game, if Colorado is winning this game, this one may overshadow all the others. But logic says this might be the end of the winning streak for the Buffaloes. But that, that's not, that doesn't mean what came before it wasn't valid. It just means they got more work to do. And I think Dion will be the first to tell you that. Number four, Iowa at Penn State, the whiteout. Great environment. A little rain in the forecast. Game that could be a little sloppy anyway. Iowa's defense makes it hard for anybody to score. Penn State's defense has made it hard for people to score this year too, though. And that's that's the part I'm intrigued by. Does Penn State severely hamstring the Iowa offense to the point that Penn State's offense gets some advantageous field position? That's Iowa's special teams probably will have to play very well to keep the field position battle fairly even. And that's where this one could turn. But again, maybe Iowa's offense had a 41-point explosion against Western Michigan. Maybe it's completely different. They are 10 points ahead of the pace in the drive for 325. Penn State, meanwhile, would like to keep rolling, wants to prove it's one of the best teams in the Big Ten. And that environment will be electric, guaranteed. Number three, Florida State at Clemson. This is, this is your noon. Get yourself ready. You're, you're getting the main course. There's, this is not an appetizer. You're getting a main course at noon, a main course at 3.30, and a main course at 7 slash 7.30 slash 8. This is going to be a, bit, a big one right here. We saw Florida State against LSU. Was that the Seminoles? We saw Florida State against Boston College. Was that the Seminoles? Very different teams. Florida State goes into Death Valley looking for its first win against Clemson since 2014. It's a long time. Jameis Winston was the quarterback on the roster, but not in that game because he was suspended. But that's how long it's been since Florida State beat Clemson. This could be a sea change moment in the ACC. There has been a year where Clemson didn't win the ACC title when Pitt and Wake Forest played for the ACC title. But this would be Florida State saying, no, no, we're the top of this conference now. Or... It would be Clemson saying, hey, that Duke game, complete mirage. We're fine. We're still really talented. We're going to defend Death Valley. It's going to be epic. They're going to run down that hill. Is there a Florida State player? Speaking of Coach Prime, 
Is there a Florida State player willing to stand at the bottom of the hill and beg the Tigers to come down? That's what Dion did when they played there. <laughs> I'm telling you, these games have the potential to be awesome. Number two, potentially the most hilarious game, but also wide variability in what could happen here. Ole Miss at Alabama. The week started with Lane Kiffin trolling Nick Saban about who's actually calling plays for Alabama's defense. Lane Kiffin said, it looks like Tavares Robinson. We played against him at South Carolina when he was the D.C. That looks like Tavares Robinson. We played against Kevin Steele, the actual D.C., when he was at Auburn. It doesn't look like Kevin Steele. And Nick Saban, of course, goes, of course it's Kevin Steele. And then Lane Kiffin says, I saw what I saw. This, this is the intrigue. This is a layer upon layer upon layer. You've got Lane used to work for Nick Saban. Nick Saban basically helped save Lane's career. You've got Pete Golding, defensive coordinator for Ole Miss, run off from Alabama to Ole Miss, heavily criticized while at Alabama. There's so much here. Plus, Alabama has decided that Jalen Milrose is the starting quarterback. The offense could be completely better, could look completely different than what we've seen so far this season. We saw Milrose start against Middle Tennessee and Texas, but were they designing the offense around Milrose? Certainly didn't look like it. It looked like they were designing an offense that either Milrose or Ty Simpson or Tyler Buckner could run. Well, now they've decided it's Milrose, and there's some things they can do to take advantage of his athleticism that can maybe open up his ability to throw the deep ball. But it also may be that Alabama's just not as good this year. And maybe Ole Miss can come in and win that game. There's so much intrigue there. I can't wait to watch that one. So you're going to have to split screen that one in Colorado, Oregon. Number one, Ohio State at Notre Dame. The Buckeyes, the Irish, two massive brands. Yes, they opened the season last year in Columbus, but it didn't feel the way it feels now. Notre Dame feels like they are much more like Ohio State than they did last year. Perhaps it's Sam Hartman. We're going to talk to Mike Golick Jr., former Notre Dame offensive lineman, current podcaster extraordinaire. We're going to talk about how different Notre Dame feels right now going into this game and how big this game is. This is one of the biggest games in South Bend in a long, long time. Guys, I cannot wait. This is going to be so excited. Before we get to Mike Golick, I want to talk to you about prize picks because Friday, when I make my prize pick selections, is going to be as hard as trying to make the selections of these games, trying to rank these games. I mean, I, I open the app. The first thing I see, the first thing I see, Shador Sanders, 335 and a half passing yards. Bo Nix, 315 and a half passing yards. He's daring me. To say the Oregon defense can shut down Shadur Sanders. Nobody shut down Shadur Sanders yet. Nobody. And then Bo Nix. Can he carve up Colorado's defense? Are we going to get a shootout in that game? You've got your appetizer on Friday night. Remember, Wisconsin's playing Purdue on Friday night. So you've got plays with Tanner Mordecai and Hudson Card. You've got Braylon Allen rushing plays. There's so many things you can do here. One of the, the, the more interesting ones that I like are the, uh, the rush yard combos where you can take two players in the same game. Like there's a, there's a Trey Benson 
Will Shipley one in the Florida State Clemson game. And it's basically will they combine for more or less than 129 and a half rushing yards? Uh, you could combine Blake Corum from Michigan, who's playing against Rutgers in their first Big Ten game. You can combine him with either of those guys. You can combine him with Will Shipley, and that number is 155.5. Or you can combine them with Trey Benson, and that number is 141.5. Just so many fun ways to play. And this is available in most of the country. It is available in California, Florida, and Texas. Basically, you pick two or more squares, and the amount you can win goes up based on how many squares you pick. There are also flex picks where you say you pick five squares. If four of them hit, you're going to win some. If three of them hit, you're going to get some back. So... A ton of fun ways to play. And check me out on X, Twitter, whatever we're calling it, Andy underscore Staples, on Friday afternoon. I'm going to be throwing some things out there as I try to figure out what I want to do because there's so many fun options. And especially this weekend, I really don't know where to go with it. And it's like picking the games themselves. You can really overthink these things. You can underthink these things. You just go with your gut. There's a lot to do. You study, but some of these, in some cases, you have teams playing the first really good opponent they've played. So what happened before the averages, the statistics they've compiled may not even matter. There's a whole lot to look at. So on Friday afternoon, we're going to go through that stuff. You sign up for prize picks today, download the app. You use the referral code Andy and they will match your first deposit up to a hundred bucks so if you deposit 100 bucks, they'll match you 100. If you deposit 50, they'll match you 50. The referral code is Andy. So Prize Picks, just download that app. Referral code Andy and they'll match you up to 100 bucks. We will talk on Friday and we will find out exactly how we're going to play this weekend. I'm going to take some tips from you. I don't know if you're going to take any tips from me. If we remember me picking the games last weekend, well, it didn't go so well. But this week I feel so much better about everything. Now, I felt good about the ones last week, too, and I missed them all. But no, I feel great about these picks. So we're going to figure it out. Prize picks on Friday, games on Saturday, unbeatable combination. Next up, let's dive into these games. Let's go to South Bend. Mike Golick, Jr., former Notre Dame player, son of Mike Golick, who also played at Notre Dame, brother of Jake Golick, who also played at Notre Dame. This is a guy steeped in the Notre Dame tradition. He's been in South Bend all week. He's got a jet out for the Oregon-Colorado game, but he has been deep in the thick of Notre Dame and Ohio State, and he gives us a report on what that town is going to be like this weekend. We welcome Mike Golick Jr., Notre Dame legend. You're the most legendary talker to come out of Notre Dame other than your dad, right? Is that, I mean, is I that fair? Look, I mean, like, I, I look at, you know, Regis Philbin's a Notre Dame alum, so obviously, yeah, like, pretty good talker. Over, overall talker, dad's there, Brady Quinn's in that group. Like, you know what, let's put it this way. I'm a much more legendary talker than I was a football player at Notre Dame, and so I think I can shoehorn myself in that way because playing-wise, I'll get better as I age and get further away from it, even though the internet still exists. Well, so you, you were in South Bend for most of the week or have been in South Bend for most of the week. 
you played on a team that played in the BCS championship game, went 12 and on the regular season. I'm curious, how's the vibe now for this game compared to what it was in those days? Uh, it's starting to pick up now. Like this was always the point of the week, especially that year, because I I had been before 2012. So for anyone that wasn't aware, that was my fifth year, senior year. So I had been on campus four years prior to that. And I had lost a lot of September games in those years prior. And the one thing I always tell people, Notre Dame fans are awesome, but like any fan base, they get up for the big moments, especially. And we do the player walk. Like a lot of teams would for us, we would go and have mass at the Basilica. And then we would walk from the Basilica on Notre Dame's campus over to the football stadium. And on the player walk, you'd have the path lined with people, especially the first couple of the weeks of the season while hope springs eternal and we're undefeated and get a first couple of wins under our belt. But then you lose a couple of September games and it gets a little bit sparse around the dining halls and some of the less populated areas. But in that 12 and 0 season, it felt like the player walk was going on Thursday afternoon when people started to get hit campus. And then on Fridays, you know, I can remember college game day is going to be here this weekend. I can remember college game day has been back a couple of times since, but we had them for the Stanford game my senior year. And the buzz went especially show like that's hitting campus. You've already got Ohio State that's a big team and regionally close. So there's a lot of overlap in the fan bases and and geographically. So it gets going around here pretty good on those weekends. It certainly did back then. And we felt it built every successive week when we won. It just got bigger and bigger. And there were more people and there were more autograph seekers out in front of the Goog, the football facility, when we get done with practice. And so I'd have to imagine, especially with what Notre Dame's dealt with as far as attention around the quarterback, where Sam Hartman's a legitimate rock star around here. I'd have to imagine they're already dealing with a lot of that going into the biggest weekend of their season. Well, let's talk about Sam. We had Joe Alt on, and he was talking about how quickly Sam assimilated into the culture of this team. And uh, the the results on the field look very different. And it feels like that's what Notre Dame's been like. When you went 12-0, that was Everett Golson. He was all right, but – it wasn't the same thing as having a QB where you felt like, oh, this guy can absolutely break this game open at some point. This feels different. It's it's wild because you're right. That 2012 team, it was Everett Golson and then Tommy Reese coming in and doing mm-hmm. spot duty and being like a relief pitcher in certain games. The sure thing we have, and I think on every team, you've got to have something that you can look at for the rest of the team that gives you the confidence to relax in big moments. For us, it was the defense, Manti Teo, the late Lewis Knicks, Capron Lewis Moore, all those guys. We had one of the number, you know, the top defenses in the sport that year. So when we made a mistake on offense, we're like, all right, we know the defense is going to get us out of a couple of these jams. For Notre Dame now, it is the quarterback. And I was amazed. You know, I got to spend time with Sam at a couple of different junctures in the offseason leading up to the year over the summer. And you're overwhelmed in person by the maturity, which you would expect from a 24-year-old player who's in his sixth year playing college football, but that's not a given for everybody, but it was the seamless understanding of, all right, Sam knows that Notre Dame is going to be even a step up in attention from what he's dealt with as one of the best players in the ACC in recent years. He understands the history. He was in lockstep with Marcus Freeman from the jump, and in so many big moments, you know how the sport operates. We all know what the most important position is. There's just something about whether it's on the offensive line where, all right, as a player like Joe Walt, I know exactly where Sam's going to be on any given play. I know we're going to be in the right play every time. And so as an offensive lineman, that makes my job so much easier where I can cut it loose and worry about blocking Jack Sawyer and JT Tuamalo and all these guys. And on defense, hey, if you make a mistake, you got a quarterback that's going to be able to keep you in it the way he can throw the football right now. One of the most efficient passers in the country. And so I think 
culturally, from a leadership standpoint, he's everything you could have wanted and more. And so far, the play has matched that too, which is incredible. Well, and the O-line part of it's interesting to me because Sam played behind some good O-lines at Wake Forest, but they were not chock full of NFL players. You know, Notre Dame's offensive line, there's a good chance all five of those guys are going to wind up on NFL rosters at some point in their career. And that seems to make all the difference. Notre Dame has become an elite O-line program. How did that happen and, and how do they keep that rolling? Yeah, I mean, how it happened, you go all the way back, and I, I give a lot of credit to Harry Heastan, who just retired after this last season, was my O-line coach that fifth-year senior year. And I, I had four O-line coaches in five years, and I had a bunch of good ones, guys that I have a ton of respect for. But Harry Heastan is a program changer. And the pride that he had in the history and tradition of Notre Dame's offensive line room and what it meant to have guys like Jeff Fain and Aaron Taylor and the history of this room, the All-Americans that came through – it mattered to him, and he was there during the formative years. I would argue outside of you know Jack Swarbrick and Brian Kelly in the modern pantheon of important Notre Dame football figures, Harry Heastand is on that medal stand at the top because he had that run where starting in 2012, it was Zach Martin and Chris Watt and Ronnie Stanley and Mike McGlinchey and Quentin Nelson and on and on down the list, first-round draft pick after first-round draft pick he instilled that sense of duty to that room that I think still permeates now. The guy's got a taste of that last year. Joe Rudolph's come in and been a phenomenal addition. You've seen how he's helped even continue to add to these guys' tool belts and, and what they can do up front. And so it's created a standard inside that room that I don't want to say drives itself, but you know, when I was there, we were a program that was winning six, seven, eight games a year. We had to learn a lot about the things that it took to go into winning football that these guys know a lot more innately now because it's been passed down through that room for a while. And to your point about with Sam too, part of it's also the scheme. Like I know we beat that slow mesh thing into the ground. There's a lot of good old linemen at Wake Forest, a couple guys that are playing Sunday ball there, but what they were asked to do is so difficult in the confines of that offense versus now for Sam, he gets to operate with much more NFL concepts, multiple tight end sets, play action shots, normal shotgun when you can get the ball out on time without having to slow walk up. And what I always said, throw the football out of a straight jacket. So Sam's getting to play with a little more freedom from that constriction around him. And because he learned how to operate in that, I think we're seeing Notre Dame fans who are startled by seeing a quarterback operate so calmly in the pocket. I think a lot of that has to do with the development that happened under Dave Clawson in that offense. And I, I've talked to Sam about operating that slow mesh. And we had Mitch Griffiths on the show, the, the guy who replaced Sam at Wake Forest. And I said, how do you how do you maintain your poise when you are meshed with that running back and you are like three feet from the entire defensive line? And he's like, yeah, you just get used to it. Man, that's it's something so special, but you're right in that once you get used to that, we always talk about like pocket presence for quarterbacks. So much of that's developed early in your football life. You know, the next level, we always look at what happened to David Carr, where you get hit so many times so early in your career. Oh, you're it's sweet. really hard to shake that once you see, because like backfield players, I always try and explain to people, I always thought about this through a running backs lens. Stuff's moving so fast, you're looking for a flash of color. Like when a running back cuts back on outside zone, it's because you didn't get your hat three inches far enough play side, and now he sees an opposite color jersey, and he's putting his foot in the ground and going. For a quarterback, so much of that stuff has to be feel in the pocket because you're looking downfield, so it's the same thing. It's flashes of color and being able to discern on the fly the difference between a guy that's going to take your head off and a guy that's just collapsing the right guard a little bit. And so to your point, 
because Sam got used to it that way, I think you see so many places now where the pocket's collapsing, where a normal quarterback would dip out of that thing, would roll out and try and make something happen. And he's been a guy willing to stand back there and not only trust the quality of that group, but also just trust the time under task he's had discerning real threat from perceived threat. Yeah. Well, so you are not getting to stay for this game because you you have a radio gig. You did the backyard brawl last week, but you are doing Colorado and Oregon, which is a fascinating game. Absolutely fascinating. And you know, I, I'm I'm curious because this Dion is bringing so many casual fans into the sport. Like you you pointed this out on Twitter on Wednesday. Somebody somebody said what attention to detail they're playing the Oregon fight song and crowd noise at practice. And you're like, everybody does this. Why is this, why is this new to new to you? But, but 9.3 million people watching a Colorado, Colorado state game at one 30 in the morning, Eastern time. What is going on here? Brother, I stayed, I got done with the backyard brawl. So we finished that broadcast in like the 11 o'clock Eastern hour. We got done and packed up and back to our hotel. Cause getting out of Morgantown's kind of wild. We got back to our hotel probably at one o'clock in the morning, and I had to get up at four o'clock to drive from where we were staying near Morgantown back to Pittsburgh to fly out. And so I knew I was going to have to be up early and make that drive. And I still couldn't take my eyes off that and couldn't bring myself to go to bed. Dion got us all to stay up for what's normally a window reserved for Hawaii and chasing overs after dark. He somehow turned that into a pseudo primetime window. And so, yeah, it, it you know what it is, Andy, it's interesting you mentioned it that way, is it's bringing a lot of people in that wouldn't normally be, and it's putting attention in certain places. And I do wonder, because we all expect Oregon's a heavy favorite in this game. Coming into the year, they were one of what we felt like were the known commodities in the Pac-12 with Bo Nix and the rest of this offense, with what Dan Lanning started to build up there already. I do wonder if this does go the way we think, if this might actually be the bump that Oregon kinds of needs. Weirdly mm -hmm. enough from a team that is considered their lesser on the field to at least start getting some of the attention because so many eyes are going to be tuned in on the game that I feel like thus far in the national conversation has kind of eluded the Ducks early in the season. As we knew, Caleb Williams and USC were obviously going to be the main story. I think some people have started to sink their teeth into Washington just because the Michael Penix Jr.'s number have been insane. And it's been about conference realignments and all this stuff. Outside of a couple of Heisman posters in New York that were the talk of the town for a few days, I don't feel like the Ducks have gotten that same love. So this weekend, because this broke contain and now Colorado's become a Good Morning America story, maybe this can also be the moment that early in the season the Ducks are finally brought into the national conversation in the conversation sense the way they were in a football sense the minute they stepped foot on the field this year. Yeah, and I think it's interesting because – it's really because they haven't played anybody. They played Georgia sure. in the opener last year, and that got them talked about in a completely wrong way. <laughs> but they they have not played anybody who's challenged them other than Texas Tech. That was a game that was kind of – there were other games going on at the same time that kind of covered it up. So, yeah, I, I want to see them play. I hate that we're going to have to watch it with no Travis Hunter because mm. that I think probably that puts Colorado at a pretty severe disadvantage in terms of slowing that offense down. I would say so between Travis Hunter and then quite honestly, the injuries up front that we've seen along the offensive line were a big part of the Colorado state game as well. We already thought coming into this season that Colorado 
most of the, like everyone who covers college football, the biggest concern was in the trenches, right? You can mm-hmm. recruit skill talent pretty much everywhere. And with Deion Sanders at the helm, what young skill player wouldn't want to come and be a part of this? Sean Lewis and the offense that he calls, that that seemed like a given, but being able to recruit depth and quality along the lines of scrimmage is usually the biggest differentiator between G5 and Power 5. And they've been such a pleasant surprise up front, but the depth shines in. Now you get one or two injuries up there and the equation starts to change a little bit. So that's the biggest worry for this weekend. But Travis Hunter, I I mean, to have that kind of a difference maker on both sides of the ball so far, I've seen some people kind of go the Shohei Atani route as far as a comp of just how unique it is to see someone doing this much on both sides of the ball. No doubt going to be an impact felt for them, for sure. So they had Lil Wayne bring them out of the tunnel last week. Uh, your Notre Dame teams, who would you have had bring you out of the tunnel? Like if you just dream artist, like rapping or singing as they walk you out, who would you have had? Well, I mean, for me, listen, like obviously now and everyone knows this, it would have been like awesome to get like a Taylor Swift or someone back when I was in college too, like God rest his soul, like Avicii was the biggest thing on earth. So uh-huh. when we got the stadium to play levels for the first time as Notre <laughs> Dame stadium was kind of growing up late in terms of the in-stadium accolades and accoutrements, the music, the video board, all that, getting something like that playing would have in 2012 been exactly what we needed. Zet Clarity by Zed was huge back then. But if you're asking me now, like Shake It Off or Bad Blood or something like that, being let out by Taylor Swift going into the stadium would be incredible for me. In all actuality, I think Garth Brooks has played at Notre Dame like twice. It would probably be like him or like, Bruce Springsteen, or honestly, um, John Bon Jovi, whose son Jesse oh, yeah. ended up coming and walking onto the football team here for a little while here. Bon Jovi would probably be like the one that most fans and other people might say. That's, yeah, yeah that's where the olds would be very happy. Yes, it, yes. The Notre Dame football environment is interesting because I do remember there was a period where they had to tell the old people to stop yelling at the young people for getting up and cheering during games. It seems like, cause now they're like, we're going to have all these glowing wristbands and, and everybody's going to be going nuts. Like they've come a long way in a short time. Dude. It, when I first got to Notre Dame, we had no giant jumbotron like they've got now. We had like the one little digital screen that used to play. You remember back in the day when we had like the old flip phones and it was like oh, yeah, yeah. those little like two bit graphic images or the knockoffs of songs. On, that was like what was playing in the stadium to get us hype. And I remember it was such a big deal. They had almost never played music in the stadium leading up to like my sophomore or junior year. And they're like, all right, we're going to give you guys one song this year. You choose one song that's going to play on third down. And we're like, oh man, this is sick. We're finally going to have music. And I forget how it got chosen, but someone chose Crazy Train by Ozzy Osbourne. Okay. Andy, by the third game, I promise there is nothing I hated on earth more than third (laughs) down. I don't know what our percentage was on defense, but to just hear that, didn't, didn't, didn't. For like the 40th time in a game, the third game of the season got old really quickly. So, yes, we have grown up a long way since that. We've grown up a long way since I can remember the gold seats or the rich seats that you're talking Mm -hmm. about where all the old timers sit. I can remember looking there in the middle of a big game one time. I'm down on the sideline as a backup, and I just turn around, and there's a guy dead-ass asleep in his seat. I'm like, (laughs) God, come on, we can't. We can't be living like this. So it it is way different and way better now, but we survived some pretty tough years on that front. So, yeah, you can't do Crazy Train. You have to do Let's Go by Trick Daddy, which samples Crazy yes. Train, but at least you get a bass drop and a little bit of, of Lil John in there. You do. The problem, the problem is I love Notre Dame's fans, but especially the student body, 
it is a largely white student body. And yes. so a lot of times you'll get like the hand nodding in there and there is not a lot of rhythm mixed into that student section. And so <laughs> we could sometimes look a little bit offbeat, which is tough on the national TV copy. Well, I, listen, you got, you just got to make sure that, that the opposing fans don't take it. It can't be like the Georgia game in 2017. No. And that's, uh, that's a point Marcus Freeman made. You heard, didn't come and say it outright early in the week, but this is, you know, an Irish wear green game. We saw before the season, they did the Jerry Maguire, show me the money uh, video tease for this, where it's the all green top Kelly green Jersey, Kelly green pants for the first time I, that I can ever remember if it's ever been done before. And Marcus Freeman got up in his press conference early in the week and said, we want to see a lot of green in the stadium meeting. Yes. Do not be selling your tickets to Georgia fans. Or like we've seen in the past years before that Nebraska fans, for some reason, the red team seemed to be a real trigger there. And again, with how close Columbus is to South Bend geographically relative to some of the other big games we're going to play. That's the hope is that everybody understands the opportunity here. And I think going all the way back, like, there's a different excitement this year because of Sam. There's obviously been a lot of good feelings about Marcus since he took over, despite some of the early season woes last year. But the big game moniker, right, wrong, or indifferent, is going to follow Notre Dame until they do something about it. We've seen them kind of slay that dragon a bit with Clemson in recent years, but it still hasn't felt like the ball's fully gone in the basket on that. Ohio State would go a long way, and so it's going to take every little bit, and hopefully that environment reflects that. Well, game time's a sponsor, and no matter who you root for, Last-minute tickets, best price is guaranteed. I'm like a NASCAR driver. I can slip mm. that plug in anywhere. So uh, earlier this week, I, I felt bad for you. I, I, you got got by a deep fake. And I understand because we, we've all been there. And everybody in the world was sending me this Brian Ferentz clip. So you were not alone. But it was hilarious and a little bit scary. There's a Brian Ferris clip. I'm not playing it on the show because I don't know if I want to encourage this sort of thing. But it's after, allegedly after Iowa scores 41 points and gets ahead of the pace in the drive for 325. And he says, I believe you can use a step stool to crawl up out of my, uh, my you know what. As, as a citizen of the internet, how did, how did that make you feel? Humbled. Uh, as someone who, you know, I work with my father every day on Gojo and Golik and my dad's a 60 year old man, which means he's got the technological limitations that most of our dads do, or most of us with older yep. male relatives do. And the internet, he didn't grow up with Twitter or any of this stuff. He barely grew up with dial up in his lifetime. And so I can understand when certain things like that are, you know, and he's cautious online because of that. I'm a child of the internet. Like I always say, I'm like a, a day walker. Like we used to say, uh, yeah. in the, um, Blade in the Blade movies yes. where I grew up in a world where we went to play outside and call the house phone as a kid. And then I got to college my junior year and we got Twitter and the world changed. And I'm deeply online as most people know who follow me. And so the fact that I was not able to discern that one means I might be losing my fastball, but two, like you said, means we've arrived at a terrifying place with what's possible. That's right. That's right. Skynet is about to take over. We're, we're, we're this close. And I got to tell you, so I think this person who makes the deep fakes is an Iowan because Ooh. they made another one a day later of Matt Campbell that is even better than the Brian Ferentz one. And again, I'm not going to play it here to sure. encourage this sort of thing, but it's hysterical because it, for those who didn't see the video, there's a video of Matt Campbell being held back from an Iowa State fan after the Ohio game. And this is this Iowa State fan is as you know, like a little skinny guy, he's wearing a cyclone's jersey. He's got like Mardi Gras beads on. 
And so it's got Matt Campbell saying the Fiesta Bowl champs don't have to apologize to anyone. And then he says, I'll send your Mardi Gras bead where he, he threatened, you know, challenged into a boxing match with Rough and Rowdy. I'll, I'll send your Mardi Gras, Mardi Gras bead wearing ass back home in a coffee can. And it's like, if you've never talked to Matt Campbell and understand he would never say that right. in public, like it's perfect. Wait. So now my brain is really in a blender. Are you telling me that whole video of his encounter with that? Fan? No, that and was he, real. Okay. But that was that, all right. Yeah. They had that in the picture in picture as the okay. deep fake Matt Campbell is having a press conference. Okay. I was going to say, because Andy, I'll tell you what, I was already <laughs> feeling old and washed. If that whole thing had been some sort of Skynet concoction, there's a good chance I would have just retired the Twitter handle and gone back completely to analog out of fear. Oh, it's it, this is terrifying as people like you and I talk into a microphone every day. It's on like Gojo and Golik is on YouTube. This show is on YouTube. You can pull videos of us saying pretty much anything. And so... God knows what someone, if they get a wild hair, could make us say. Like you said, though, I think that's the other advantage. Because with Brian Ferentz, outside of Iowa fans, most of us don't really know what he sounds like all that often. You don't hear from him much. You just hear him chided in public for the lack of offense there. And for Matt Campbell, it's kind of the same thing. I think we at least have the advantage of people are used to hearing us belch into microphones plenty. <laughs> and so if it's really something wild and it's not about, like, donuts breakfast food taylor swift japanese anime or notre dame football i think most people are going to kind of know that is probably not what mike would actually say like i know most of the dumb stuff he would say and in certain other categories it's probably not going to fall into that line so maybe our volume shooting actually helps us here andy i, I hope so i hope so before i let you go you already known swifty yes jason kelsey apparently has confirmed the travis kelsey taylor swift relationship if you'd have known it was going to be a football player, would you have shot your shot a little earlier? <laughs> you know what? I, I've gotten asked that question a bunch, and it, it I, I'm flattered by it because it operates under the assumption that Travis Kelsey and I are in like the same weight <laughs> class when it comes to any of this stuff, bank accounts, accomplishments, overall good looks. The thing I'll say is, no, I like Taylor Swift would eat me alive. She's in a class of powerful women that in, you know, would absolutely destroy me based on my station in life. I would welcome that destruction, but it is what it is. What I'd say about Travis is I appreciate it because I didn't know if he was a Taylor Swift fan coming into this or not. The fact that when he initially tried to shoot the shot, he tried to do it speaking her language. The flavor of love for this tour was the friendship bracelets. And so he went with the phone number on the friendship bracelets. I thought that was an incredible olive branch from a guy who is cool, young, in demand at the height of his powers right now with the podcast and the Super Bowl win last year. He could have easily made this about him and instead he made it about her. So as our representative for the sports community, and listen, she hasn't really even dated an American in quite some time. Mm. And she's always majored in skinny actors and musicians. This feels like kind of a win for all of us. So I am excited to have Travis as our ambassador. And I continue to hope that he is on his best behavior for this because we need it. Yeah, she's going to eviscerate him in song at some point. So just, <laughs> just and it's be, gonna be prepared. Great. And it's going to be great. What an honor. The highest honor, maybe. <laughs> All right, Mike, you got a big week. Finish up in, in South Bend, enjoying the pregame festivities, and then off to Austin to watch the Coke Prime show. Good luck, and thank you so much. Appreciate it, brother. Great talking to you. Yeah, Travis Kelsey provided an update Thursday on the Taylor Swift thing, and, and basically – 
said he's still shooting his shot uh, and, and nothing is nothing is actually happening yet. I don't know how much I believe, but if, if he does manage to pull this off and begin actually dating Taylor Swift, I don't know what this means for the Cincinnati Bearcats, but they are playing Oklahoma this week in their first Big 12 game. Probably should have included that in my honorable mentions. You heard Dante Corleone, the godfather, Cincinnati defensive tackle on this show yesterday. Uh, that's a very exciting game. Oklahoma's looked great this year offensively. Can Cincinnati slow them down? I guarantee Nippert Stadium is going to be rocking. That is yet another big one at noon Eastern time for us to think about. But in that second window, you got the game that, that Mike Golick's going to be at. Colorado at Oregon. The coach prime effect has changed Who's looking at college football? It is, as, as Mike said, broken contained. It has now become a Good Morning America story. And that's great. That is great for the sport. Welcome to all the casual fans. We want you to become diehard fans because this is the most fun sport in the universe. Well, now you're going to, to Austin, and you're going to see a very talented Oregon team. And one of the very talented players on that Oregon team is defensive lineman Brandon Dorless. He came back for another year could be in the NFL right now, but wanted to have one more good year at Oregon. And they could have a potentially special year. This is a very deep Pac-12, but they look like one of the best teams in the Pac-12. Talk to him about getting ready to play Coach Prime. Joined now by Brandon Dorless, Oregon defensive lineman. Excellent golfer, in case you didn't know. We'll, we'll talk about the golf in a second, Brandon. But what, what's this week been like for you guys Obviously, the, the story around the country has been Colorado. Everybody's talking about the Buffaloes. Usually when you play somebody, we're all talking about the Ducks. Is it weird to be kind of on the other side of the fence there? I mean, yeah. Like, so since I've been at Oregon, like, every time you play Colorado, it's just been, yeah, Oregon's going to smash Colorado. And now, you know, this, everything Colorado got going on, it's just crazy because, you know, go on social media, you just see Colorado. I don't I don't follow no Colorado posts, like, media for nothing. All I see is – Dion, Shadari, all them boys. So it's like it's different, but you know, at the end of the day, you gotta make it about your team and make it about locking in to your fundamentals and doing what you know is gonna help you win the game. You know, you can't make it about them and all that hype they got going on right now. Now you're an old college football player. You're old <laughs> for your age group, but yeah. like what do you have any memories of Dion as a player? I mean, you know, I watched the highlights, you know, I seen the celebrations he did. You know, I know he played baseball too, and you know, just I was I wasn't a big fan of Dion. Like I wasn't growing up watching him all the time, but like just off the highlights, the kick returns he had, and just like the player he was, the flash, the swag he had. You know, everybody seen him. You know, everybody watched Dion. Everybody wanted to be like prime time. So, you know, watching this, it's gonna it's gonna be it's gonna be funny seeing him on the sideline coaching for sure. You know, but you know, it's you, you gonna cool. say anything to him if no. uh, if you tackle somebody along the sideline? I'm talking all of my pads in my hands. I'm not doing no talking this game. <laughs> so they had a little Wayne lead them out of the tunnel, like rapping live last week. Yeah. If you could have any musician lead the ducks out of the tunnel live, who would it yeah. be? Uh probably Drake. That would be oh, that'd be smooth. Yeah. That'd be yeah, nice. I'll probably do a Drake. Although there's a Drake curse, right? If he sits courtside, yeah, exactly. the team loses, all that like you gotta be careful with that. Yeah, well, I probably just tell him go send a box or something. <laughs> so you, you could yeah. you lead us out, you do trophies, and <laughs> yeah. then you're leaving the stadium. Yeah, perform trophies and then go to, up to the suite. 
That that's it would be trophies, right? Yeah, for sure. Okay, has to. Yeah. Be. All right. So this team this year, y'all y'all have you know you played Texas Tech and and that was a, a tough one, but you haven't quite been challenged yet. Other other than that, mm-hmm. what's practice been like this week? Knowing you know what what you've seen from this offense. Yeah. So you know this offense is pretty dynamic. You know. Have a lot of weapons they use. You know, the running back, Dylan Edwards, is a fast back, a different back we were used to seeing. You know, we see more physical backs downhill, like through the tackle running. But this dude, you know, they have to get perimeter runs for him, get him going, like some screens and stuff. So, you know, and they know for their tempo. And so this, like this week, our practice has been, has been tempo, get, get in shape for this fast offense coming in town. Cause, you know, we know how these oh, the OC came from and who his friends are. So we know what they're going to run. Like, we have a, good, a great game plan. I feel confident in the game plan we got to stop these, this offense. So Texas Tech's a pure air raid team, and, and this yeah. is more the old Baylor offense, but it's still the same level of tempo. Like, yeah. how, how in shape are you guys to deal with what they're going to try to run at you? I mean, Coach Landon has been taxing us like crazy. So, like, you know, Texas Tech was known for their tempo too, but, like, Clockwise, like speed wise, they I think they go faster than Texas Tech. And they have to, like they're the number one offense on the third down right now. So the biggest thing is is getting like we're in shape. We're we're good to go. The biggest thing yeah, is, yeah. is just locking in. Like we have to lock in. Don't try to do too much. Don't fall into the trap of Shadur the watch and stuff, you know, all that hype stuff. You know, we're gonna make it nasty and gritty. Like we're gonna punch them in their mouth all day and we're just gonna do our job. You that's become Oregon's calling card since you guys have been there, you know, when Coach Cristobal was there too. What was that like kind of building up on the line of scrimmage? Because uh, when you, you came right around when Panay came and uh, yeah. you guys have just added mo- – like the you, you've got Josh Connerly now on that offensive line. You've got Honcho, yeah. who sounds like <laughs> a, a complete monster, the freshman from Hawaii. Uh, yeah. And then uh, and you got Popo, who you're playing with alongside on the D-line. Like how did you get this nasty up front? I don't know. I mean, like when I was getting recruited by Cristobal and the staff, like their main goal was to make the O line, D line more stout, you know, make get bigger bodies, more physical dudes. And ever since my freshman year, every year it gets more physical, more bigger. And these these freshmen come in, I'll just be like another big dude. Like, but like it's good. Like Poncho, for instance, like he's the way he how big he is, he should not be moving like that. But like we get good work, it's like good on good work. Like yesterday, me and him had like a couple one on ones, and it was just going back and forth. You know, he probably catch me when I'm slacking, but then I just hit him with some old school move. And but this is how it goes. I, I, me personally, I love the physicalness that we got up front. You know, and we know football games are won up front. So you, I heard you in another interview talk about what Poncho could do on the diving board. He's like three fifty five or something. What, what 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 can he do? Oh, uh, I mean, not just Bounce, even like Ben Roberts on the D line, like all the all the Poly- Polynesians dudes, they get to the pool on the diving board. These dudes be doing backflips. Like I'm like, what? Like it's crazy to see that. And like me personally, I get on the diving board, I do a cannonball. Like I'm not doing the backflips and stuff. But no, nah, it's just amazing seeing that. Yeah, you're 290. The cannonball is going to displace lots of water. Everybody's going to go, ooh and ah. Like, you don't need to be risking your life here. Yeah. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. We, we do need to talk about, about your golf game because I, I saw you talking about this in another interview. And you mentioned that you played a bunch growing up, hadn't played much since you'd been in Oregon. But then this past offseason, you, you really got back into it. And uh, while you're talking, we'll, we'll have a few 
yeah. a, a little bit of video of you. And it's, it's interesting because I, I expected like when you were putting all videos on your Instagram that it'd be just you bombing long drives, but this is your short game and you got a pretty swing. Yeah. Nah, me personally, I'm I f I'm not great with the drivers and like the fairways. It's like I love the short game. You can, I'm part threes for life. Like I could do that all day, but like that's been like my biggest point. Like just trying to get better on my drivers. Like in this video, the, the pitching wedge is my favorite club to use, and I hit it pin high. And I just love golf, man. It just clears your mind up. Well, also you you grew up in in South Florida, so there's <laughs> you know you play all year round. There's courses all over the place. Is that is that how how it got started? Yeah. Uh, no. Nah, so like my dad, my dad growing up. He grew up on the country clubs and he worked for like he was catting for people and so he started taking me out to the country club we started golfing together and at the time i was like middle school like i don't know what i was doing i was just swinging as hard as i can and and then i got to college my dad was trying to make me uh go one-on-one -on -one with him and he think i don't have no golf skills and i've just been working on that the whole time well you said you're like a 10 handicap now so that's i mean yeah. given the busyness of your schedule that's pretty yeah. good no nah, like so when I first started going back, it was like end of the last season, like towards bowl season. So like as soon as the bowl game got done, I got back to Eugene. I was around the golf course every day right after workouts. And that's all I've been trying to work on is my short game and trying to like not slice my drivers. Well, also, I, I, I think I, it's funny because that, I feel like we've learned a lot about you as a person because I think most people just care how far they can hit the ball. Yeah. But – you want to slice strokes off your game, the short mm -hmm. game is the way to do it. That's what I'm saying. Like, it's crazy because, like, people don't understand, like, the short game can really just mess up your score a lot. And when I started working on that, like, I went to this country club and worked with this trainer, and he was like, yeah, all people are always trying to work on the drivers, keeping it straight. But people understand the better your short game is, the better your score will be. And once I seen my score keep going down and down, I was like, yeah, I'm just mastering my short game. Now you, you gotta work pretty short when you're on the D line. You you play all along, by the way. So you play from nose to edge. Yeah. Which is a very like those are very different skill sets, but like what is what is your absolute favorite move to hit uh, on somebody? Uh it all depends on where I'm at on the on the line. So if I'm on if I'm on the edge playing against a tackle, like I'm on a regular five tech, I like to set up upfield like I'm going speed and then Go two to one with a long arm and bull rush in. You know, tackles are not used to big dudes on the edges. When I'm in the three tech, I like to get a little more fancier with my moves. You know, coaches get mad at me with that, but it always works. Like my favorite move in the three tech is hitting with a, like a nice little stutter swim. And then when I play nose, like against Texas Tech, I like to go to the, the old school club rip. And then if that doesn't work, you know, just work a counter move off of that. The the club rip seems like the the easiest one to learn. But the hardest mm -hmm. one to master, like, yeah. and yeah, and yeah. but I I bet it feels very satisfying when you get it clean and, and you get past somebody, especially in those tight quarters, and all of a sudden you burst out and it's you and the quarterback or you and the running back <laughs> right there. No, yeah, it was amazing. It's like because that same the same move I hit on that on the end of the game with Tech uh, is the same drill we do after practices, like do extra work. We work that the club rip like Coach Tosh. The man's a club rip a lot. Like he's just, he said, it's the one of the hardest moves to master, but one of the cleanest moves when you do it. And when I finally did it, and the, the nose tech was, it was like, whoa, it was ridiculous. And I was just happy about that. So you're still eating Skittles on the sideline? I, I, 
I heard you you did that in the Washington State game last year while you're trying, you you guys are in this middle of this comeback and you're like popping Skittles on the sideline. Nah, yeah, I like to, you know I feel like when like other dudes see me eating Skittles on the sideline, they get to see that I'm confident in them, and so it just calms everybody down. Not to just get too high, and get too low, you know, like games like that, like Texas Tech. I can't be a dude whose mind is like, oh, I'm panicking, panicking. I gotta be calm, you know, just be in my, be in my zone. So I feel like Skittles is the best thing to keep me in my zone. So I eat the Skittles. Taste the rainbow, baby. It's an NIL deal waiting to happen. But oh, speaking of rainbow and colors and changing, you all are wearing the, the color change cleats this weekend. Yeah. How, how does that work? Like, did they tell you a few weeks ahead of time this is you're gonna be wearing these, or do they give them out to practice in for the week, or have you not actually seen those yet? No, so we seen like we seen the first prototype when they first made it, like a couple months ago. And, you know, we seen like what the clique did, and at the time they wasn't really gonna give it to us because they didn't think it was that cool. But you know, after more dudes saw the cleat, everybody was like, "Yeah, we gotta wear this next year." And so we came to like all the seniors or the whole team came to a decision like we're gonna wear this or these cleats this year. And I like me personally, I like the cleat, you know. The, it looks it looks good. They changed the colors and the heat, and I feel like it's just gonna look amazing. And oh we God. did. We got the cleats uh, on Monday, and we started wearing them in practice to get our feet used to them. That's that's what I wonder is when when do they first break them out? What what's that like when you walk in there and they're in your locker? No, nah, it was it was crazy because you know personally the big dudes up front don't get a lot of flashy cleats. You know we got the nice bulky you know keep your ankle safe cleats, but like we finally got some pair of cleats that look nice and flashy. So. No, it feels good to feel like a skill player this week. Yeah, I've seen, but I've seen those Jordan One high cleats lately that the that the big guys can wear. Yeah. Like it feels like it, the it's it's not the old Boss Shark anymore. <laughs> like Nike's come up with some more stuff for you guys. Yeah, no, nah, they did for sure. Uh, me personally, I, like you said, like the, the Land Sharks. That's what we the D linemen were used to know. Like watching these like like dudes like Nick Bosa wearing the Jordan One lows, like. I want to get more than one lows, but like I, I just gotta keep making sure my feet stay good. That's right. That's right. You gotta keep those feet because you only get two, and <laughs> you gotta you got a long career ahead of you. Brandon, thank you so much. Good luck on Saturday. Hope you hope you eat a lot of Skittles and, <laughs> and feel pretty good about yourself. Uh, appreciate you. That is Brandon Dorless, and he is so much fun. Can you imagine what those pool parties look like with offensive linemen flipping? off the diving board. And Oregon's got some dudes on the offense. Josh Connerly at left tackle. He's a sophomore, former five-star recruit. He's a stud. And Poncho, whose last name I am not going to butcher. He's a true freshman this year. He's a guard. Sounds like the next big thing on that Oregon offensive line. It is going to be a lot of fun watching these guys in the trenches against Colorado because – the big question is, how does Colorado hold up in the trenches against a team with really good interior line play? We're going to find out. We are going to find out on Saturday. But let's head back east now because Notre Dame and Ohio State is the best you know, classic helmet matchup of the weekend. The gold versus the silver. It's going to be beautiful. Bobby Carpenter has a very special view of this game because – like a lot of the great former Ohio State linebackers, he played with Marcus Freeman, who is now Notre Dame's head coach. So Bobby broke down what that's like to watch his former teammate lead his team against the Buckeyes, but also broke down this year's Ohio State defense. 
joined now by Bobby Carpenter, former Ohio State linebacker, host of the Bobby Carpenter Show. You can hear him on SiriusXM. The show is called Off Campus, but it's really Meathead Radio with Bobby and our friend Jacob Hester. You're at the Woody Hayes Athletic Center right now. You have been deadlifting with the Buckeyes. Well, I mean, I like to think I'm deadlifting with them, deadlifting maybe around them, Andy. Like you guys are considerably stronger. I'd like to think that I'm still 20, but every day when I get out of bed, I'm constantly reminded that I'm now 40 years old and no longer in peak physical condition. Well, listen, okay. So for those who don't know, you guys have a pretty tight group of former Ohio State linebackers. So Anthony Schlegel does the show with you. He's been a strength coach at Ohio State. He was a strength coach with the Jacksonville Jaguars. A.J. Hawks in town another former all-time great Ohio State linebacker. And we were talking before we started recording about, I, I said, I, I envisioned that there's this group chat every day where you figure out whose house you're going to deadlift at. Like, it, how, how tight is this group of ex-Ohio State linebackers? Like, Laurinaitis, is he in that too? Yeah, I mean, we've got one, just the three of us. We're all seniors. Then we have one with James. And, you know, there, there was one with Marcus in it. But, you know, this week, like, you've got to make sure that he's out of there. So it was we had a pretty special room, pretty awesome group of guys. James and Marcus were a couple years younger than AJ, uh, Schlegs, and myself. So we've got a really tight-knit group. We all kind of think alike. And so it's fun with James being back, watching him work with the linebackers. He reminds me a lot of our former coach, Luke Fickle, with how he works with those guys an individual. And, you know, watching Marcus coach games, a lot of Jim Trestle, Luke Fickle kind of shines through him as well. Well, so I'm wondering, because Marcus was a little bit younger than you. I think you guys overlap by a couple of years. Could you tell when he was in college that, that he was potentially destined to be a coach? You know, it's interesting. I mean, Marcus was like the, the biggest star coming in out of uh, Dayton Wayne. Huge, huge recruit coming in and got here. He had a little bit of injuries early on in his career. And, you know, I, I, I never really thought that he would get into coaching. It was interesting when he got done playing, he had some heart issues that kind of forced his NFL career to end prematurely. And then he started working in the administrative side. He was working under Gene Smith, interning. I think he became a full-time. And then he was like, Trust, like, why don't you try GA? And so he GA's working under Fick. And then the next thing you know, he's leaving to go to Kent State with Daryl Hazel. They go to Purdue. And then he makes his way through the coaching ranks, meanwhile having like seven kids with Joanna along the process. So he's got a huge family, great guy. And I've been really happy to see his success. I'm even more happy, Andy, because he was a guy when he came into Ohio State, he always used to have problems with his weight. I mean, he was a guy that would kind of always meander over to the dessert table a little bit and Fick would have to be on him, getting him on the climber. And I look at him now, I'm like, Marcus, man, this new spelt version of you. Like, I'm so proud and impressed. It is. He is the most handsome coach in college football. I think that there's no debate about that. Nobody fills out a Q-zip like Marcus Freeman. But, yeah, that's it. Is it hard for you, though? Because, obviously, you want the Buckeyes to win this game. But is it is a little bit in the back of your mind wanting Marcus to – because this would be such a breakthrough for him. It is. And, you know, it's, it's no different than Wisconsin. It's no different than uh, when my former coach, Mark D'Antoni, was at Michigan State, who ironically is, is kind of back there now again uh, yeah. with Mel. Like all the guys who you know you played with or coached, played for, you see them out like, I want him to win every game except for the one against Ohio State. So I wish Marcus the utmost success. I was so happy last year when they were able to beat Clemson, get on a roll, like utterly disappointed for him when they lost to Marshall. But I knew he was going to do a great job. He got to team like figured out and you know what's interesting like watching him like there's so much of trust that kind of just shines through you know he kind of figures out what type of team he has how he has to play and then he really kind of leans in on that it may not always be the flashiest thing but they ultimately end up with wins and so I'm excited to watch him mature not many guys I mean 
ironically, kind of Ryan Day and him can maybe have a conversation about it. When you get your first big time job and it's at probably a top 10, top five blue blood program, like there's really not a whole lot of room, Andy, to learn on the job. And so I think oh. those guys could probably sit there and commiserate about some of like the subtle missteps you make in those first year or two. Yeah, because you think back to Marcus coming out of he was working with Luke Fickle at Cincinnati. He was the D.C. He's the hottest D.C. candidate in the, in the country. It comes down to LSU and Notre Dame. He winds up going in and Brian Kelly leaves for LSU and all of a sudden, whoop, there you are. It, it is. It, it happens overnight. And I can't even imagine the pressure of something like that. Oh, it's immense. And I said, usually you get to learn at maybe a, a group of five schools somewhere in the MAC, maybe somewhere in the Sun Belt, or even maybe a school that's not near the top of college football that might be in the back half of a Power Five conference. And so you go in there, you're opening. I mean, I think about this, Andy, for Marcus last year, and, and he's in a much better spot now, just comfortability wise you're opening at ohio state it's a night game your alma mater it's your first game as a coach and by the way you know the guy that you played for jim trestle was being honored with the 20th anniversary of his uh national championship team in 2002 so you've got all that swirling around you and you're an ohio guy so like yeah. there's all that pressure swirling around and i thought he did a heck of a job coming in you know especially given their quarterback situation and this year with sam hartman you've noticed how much more prolific and proficient they've been on offense. Yeah, and that's the, the, the question I had because Ohio State's defense the last two years, the, the problem has not necessarily been the down-to-down situations. It's been big plays, two or three a game that, that just change everything. Sam Hartman now makes Notre Dame capable of doing that. Has Ohio State tightened that up? I, I look at the Western Kentucky game, and I see 5.9 yards per attempt for a really good passing offense. I mean, that suggests to me that Ohio State is a little bit different in terms of how they're, how they're handling that. Well, Andy, experience matters a lot. And you know, people look at Western Kentucky, like, ah, it's a group of five school. Like, hey, they hung 41 on South Florida, and Alabama yeah. was struggling to get to 17. So, you know, Austin Reed, uh, Malachi Corley, they have really talented players, and some NFL guys. And that team puts up yardage and points on everyone. And the thing I was most impressed with in that game, and Kyle McCord played well, but it was the defensive proficiency. They didn't give up the big plays. They tackled well. They were in the spots they were supposed to be. They didn't let anyone get over the top. And I think that's a function of experience. Last year, they were more experienced than the prior season. But if you look across the board now, really Sonny Styles is the only guy out there who didn't start last season. And that was a guy that played you know, over 35, 40 plays against Georgia in the Peach Bowl and is one of the most gifted athletes I've ever seen on a football field. So experience helps you a lot. It helps you in big games when you're going to see things that you never practiced. Teams are going to have wrinkles out there and the pressure of the moment's going to be huge. When you get to live in that pressure for a while, you feel more comfortable in it. So I think the defensive backfield feels a lot better than maybe they have in years past. Well, I think of a guy like Steel Chambers at linebacker who was a running back before, and now he's been at linebacker a while. And he, I mean, he's going to be critically important in this game because if the D-line does this job, it's going to be Steel Chambers' job to fill holes and, and tackle Audric Estime and, and all their backs. So it, it feels like they're just more experienced everywhere. Well, it is. You look at Steel, you look at Tommy, both of those guys now have started for three years. And Audric Estime is the key. We can talk about Kyle McCord. You know, we can talk about Sam Hartman. 
know, Notre Dame has you know, two high-quality NFL tackles. They love to run the football. They're going to try to pound it. Austin Estime is big. He's thick. He can run through tackles. It'll be up to Chambers and Eichenberg to not only hit, but you've got to wrap. You have to get them down. You can't let a two- and three-yard run get bled into five to six because that changes the math dramatically on the second and third downs. And then the third piece of that is Sonny Styles, who, you know, is kind of like that hybrid linebacker safety. The guy can run like a safety, but he's about 225 pounds. So him being involved in that mix as well, if the defensive line does their job, it's going to come down to being able to get Audrey Estimate to the ground and make sure that he's not rushing for 150 yards. This also, the timing of this, and really it feels like Notre Dame is a different version of Notre Dame than what Ohio State played last year. But it feels to me, Bobby, like Ohio State, after playing this game, should be better prepared for the Penn States and the Michigans. And it feels like in past years they haven't had anybody who could kind of give them that level of game this early in the season. So does that help win or lose going forward? I think it does. Anytime you're playing tough competition, it's going to obviously help sharpen you. And you've looked across college football this year, and we have, I think, six ranked-on-ranked matchups coming up this Saturday. I mean, I include seven. Clemson's ranked yep. you know, in the coaches. And Clemson, Florida, in Clemson State should be a great game down there in Death Valley. And so everyone's looking to this weekend. And then you look to last weekend. You look at Florida State and Boston College. You know, you look at Alabama and uh, South Florida. You get Georgia, South Carolina. You get Missouri beating Kansas State, Tennessee, Florida. Like, I'm trying to figure out what exactly. No, heck, Texas was struggling with Wyoming into the fourth. Mm-hmm. Like, this year, college football seems more wide open than ever before. So I think playing big games like this is going to help you immensely as you get through the season, kind of figuring out what you're good at, what you're not, what you need to improve upon. And so I, I like this. I love this matchup going on the road early. It's going to be at Notre Dame. Hopefully there'll be a strong Buckeye contingent there. But anytime you can go on the road and play a tough opponent, you find a way to get a win. It's huge. But even if you don't, I think you can learn a lot about yourself. I, the, the folks in my town, by the way, want to thank you for naming my alma mater, the, the Undertaker team of the week on the Pat McAfee show. You, you, you had Florida coming, uh, coming out of the casket against Tennessee. It, Andy, listen, I was I threw so much dirt on them after that after that Utah game because I'm gonna be honest, I mean, you're around my age. Like I grew up watching Florida, like Fred Taylor, Javon mm-hmm. Curse, like freaks out there. And I'm watching that game, like they don't have anybody out here that looks like a difference maker. I'm watching you know, the backup quarterback for Utah jog into the end zone off of a scramble, and I'm waiting for someone to come flying out of the middle of the field running a four, four way and two thirty to polish him off on the three. It just never happened. So I was really happy for Billy Napier because I I hate to see coaches that come into a difficult spot, a lot of heat on him, obviously, as you know, to be able to get that win, to preserve that, you know, two decade win streak over Tennessee in the swamp. And hopefully this is a sign of things to come for them because I didn't want to see Florida have to change coaches again. You watch Florida state kind of do that and they stuck with Mike Norvell and now you see it kind of paying off. So hopefully this year gets a little better and then they'll be able to make a push into next season. Well, yeah, and they're playing a style that, that I know you would appreciate where they're, they're trying to be, you know, dominant up front and salt games away on the ground, tackle, you know, dominate on the D-line, which you're right. They, they didn't have those guys. And, and so Javon Curse, I'm glad you mentioned that. My, my first day as a walk-on at Florida, I walk through the gate and I'm, you know, just shaking like a leaf. I turn to my right. Javon Curse is standing there with no shirt on, just wearing his, his, his pants and I'm like, this is the first player I see. <laughs> yeah. I assume they all look like this. I'm like, I, I don't think this is for me. <laughs> I'm not even I, the yeah. same species as this guy. So, 
Oh yeah, yeah he's, he's not in the brochure. I mean, I, I took a visit to <laughs> no. North Carolina. I see Julius Peppers out there, and I get down on the field, and then you truly have an appreciation when you're on like sea level with those guys. Of wait, I see you move, and now I realize how big you are. I didn't realize God crafted human beings quite like this. <laughs> it, it is incredible, but yeah, you played with a bunch of those guys at Ohio State, and got a bunch of those guys on the current Ohio State roster. Notre Dame's got some of those guys too now. That's what makes this game so much fun. It, like you said it feels like things are more even like I don't I don't know how many teams I would uh, before the season I would have said there's like three teams that can win the national title I don't know what the number is for me now I think it's getting close to 10. I think if you look at it you probably have four or five teams out of the Pac-12 and I mean no one thought Colorado was gonna be worth the salt and they're they're up there as good as anyone uh, the, the Big 12 is a little bit different. We got to see what OU ultimately is. Yeah. But I think Texas is really stinking good this year. Like they've proven that. I think you have Ohio State, you have Michigan, you have Penn State in the Big Ten. And then the SEC, like you have Georgia. I think I, I love LSU. I think LSU is very good. I think Bama, depending on their quarterback situation, can bounce back. We might find out a lot out of Bama this week with Old Miss because Old Miss has looked really good mm -hmm. this year. And then you look at the ACC, and you obviously have Florida State, and maybe there's someone else that can emerge. But, I mean, you could get to a legit eight to ten teams, which normally it's like, all right, give me if you give me five, I could probably get all four in any given year. Yeah, it is It is so much more exciting this way. So I hope hope this keeps up. Bobby, thank you so much. Go get cooled off after that workout, and uh, and we will see you on the Bobby Carpenter Show. My pleasure, Andy. Thank you. If you haven't yet, check out that Bobby Carpenter show. He's with Anthony Schlegel, who former strength coach with the Buckeyes. He was a linebacker when they played. That guy will get you pumped up no matter what. He's in, uh, he invented a, a device that pretty much every level of football they use that, that helps linemen work on hand placement, work on hand fighting. The guy's incredible, and Bobby's show is great. So, and you you'd also catch Bobby on the Pat McAfee show. They call him General Bob. And when you you talk to Bobby, you see that he, he has a commanding presence. Speaking of forces, tonight's extra point is about an, some unfortunate wording in a in a tweet because North Carolina is playing Pittsburgh on Saturday. The Tar Heels are three zero. They're having a great season, but they. I don't know. This is not the way to present your uniforms. So they're wearing these beautiful white uniforms. And, and there's nothing that can make a North Carolina football uniform look bad. Because that blue is glorious. And that Argyle is awesome. Whether it's the stripe down the helmet or they make it a stripe on the pants or they put it on the jersey somewhere. It looks amazing. But the tweet they put out to unveil these uniforms, which are going to look amazing. Stormtroopers assemble. Teams, social media managers, don't do this. Do not automatically throw the Stormtrooper name out when your team's wearing all white. Why? Because anybody who's watched the Star Wars movies or the extended Star Wars universe on Disney Plus right now knows that the Stormtroopers are the most incompetent fighting force in cinematic history. Think of the numbers advantage they had over the Rebels. And yet they still lost. They got beat by the freaking Ewoks. Tar Heels, you're 3-0. and 
Pitt's on the ropes right now. They just lost the backyard brawl. Don't cast your lot with people who lost the Ewoks. Now's your chance to crush the ACC. Don't do it with stormtroopers. Just call them icy whites, whatever you want to call them. But don't cast your lot with the stormtroopers. They're the bad guys for one, and they, they seem to always lose. So you're going to look great. Just call it something else. Guys, we're here. Great weekend coming up. We got our appetizers on Friday night, Wisconsin and Purdue, NC State and Virginia. And then what is probably going to be the best college football Saturday of the season so far. I cannot wait. We'll talk to you again Saturday after some games.